We turn in God's Word this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Good find, Ashley. Hebrews chapter 10. This morning we'll be considering verses 1 through 14. For those of you visiting with us uh, this morning, we're on a series uh, taking us through the book of Hebrews. So we're up to uh, this portion of Scripture. Uh, this evening we'll return to our sermon series, The Lord Willing, on trees of the Bible as we journey uh, to uh, Genesis chapter 18 and uh, meet Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre for uh, two very significant events uh, that take place at those oaks. So Hebrews chapter 10, though, is this morning, the first 14 verses. Let us hear, then, God's breathed out word to you and I this morning. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you alone are our strength and our shield. And uh, this morning, Father, uh, to you alone may our spirit yield. We just praise you, Father, for... Uh, your word that uh, we can open this morning. We pray for Pastor Bob as he brings this word to us. We pray, Father, that uh, you will turn our hearts towards you, that, uh, that uh, we will do your will, Father, 
And that there's any, Father, that uh, have not given their heart over to you, you would work in those hearts this morning. Anybody within the hearing of this word. And uh, may that be a great honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we continue this theme of the supremacy of Christ, we see that this morning in the fulfilled will. The fulfilled will of the Father. In Christ, fulfilling the Father's will, we see the supremacy of Christ over Sinai. So we want to look at two things this morning from this passage. First of all, just briefly again, what are the limitations of Sinai? And secondly, the fulfillment that we do see in Jesus Christ. Now remember what the author is dealing with here is the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace as God gave those, that promise back there in the garden of Genesis 3.15. As that covenant of grace it comes to more of a formation we might say with Abraham. And then at Sinai God gave a means of demonstrating that covenant of grace. But now in Christ, we see that second administration or that second covenant, which is now replacing Sinai. Why does Sinai need to be replaced? Why doesn't Sinai continue till today? Why, why aren't we still offering bulls and calves? Why aren't we still involved in all of those ceremonial washings and cleansings? Why aren't we still keeping all of those Old Testament feasts and festivals? Why, why are we no longer engaged in that ceremonial administration of that covenant of grace? Because of its limitations. The author here points out three. One... He tells us Sinai was but a shadow. It was but a shadow. It wasn't a reality. It wasn't the end. It wasn't the final purpose. It was only, as it were, God's first installment. It was God giving to them a shadow of the reality that was to come later and to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of those festivals, all of those washings, all of those sacrifices were but a shadow of the reality that was to come. John Piper in, in one of his devotionals uses the, the illustration of a child lost in a grocery store. And they're frantic because they can't find mom. Somehow or another, perhaps they lingered a little too long in the candy aisle or the cereal aisle, right? Thinking, oh, I'd like this cereal because of the toy, okay? And mom has proceeded down and turned the corner. And the child, the little child can't see mom. And they're frantic. Where's their mom? Where's their mom? And they run to the end of the aisle. And there they see, coming around the corner, the shadow. And they recognize in that shadow their mother. But does that appease them? Does that calm them? Or is it mom herself coming around that corner 
that gives to that child that relief, that assurance. It's okay. Mom is here. The shadow, although it brings good things, but it's the hope of that which lies beyond the shadow. The author is saying Sinai was limited, that law was limited because it was only a shadow and only brought about good things, but they're not the reality. They're not the fulfillment. Why? Because that law, as he says in verse 1, could never perfect Right? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Sinai could never perfect. And then he offers just the, the logical explanation. If you offer a sacrifice and that perfects you, why would you ever need to offer a sacrifice again? So let's take it as the Day of Atonement. You come to the Day of Atonement, right? That once a year event. Priest goes into that Holy of Holies, sprinkles the blood. Priest comes back. God accepted. I'm perfected. Must not be. Why? Because the very next year the priest has to do it again. That's his argumentation. Why would it need to be repeated over and over? Why all those animals? Why all those sacrifices? Why all that blood? If the blood could make perfect. But you see, Sinai was limited. Because it didn't make perfect. It didn't do that. Because the blood of bulls and goats can what? What does he tell us in verse 4? Why couldn't Sinai make perfect? Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It's an animal. An animal's blood can never take away the sin of man. It is man who has sinned. It is man who has caused an affront. It is man who has transgressed, not those animals. But you see, God gave those animals and he gave those sacrifices as a shadow of the reality that was to come. So now, the author of Hebrews is telling us and has been telling us throughout these chapters that a second administration of this covenant, a second covenant has come. And this covenant is mediated by Jesus Christ. And, and he's the high priest of this covenant. Not some human who himself sins and has to offer sins for himself. But he's the perfect high priest. And he comes as the mediator of that covenant. And now the... The author is, is digging in a little bit deeper with this. And he's saying, this is why, this is why the second covenant, this second administration of this covenant of grace found in Christ 
is superior to Sinai. Paul wrote in Romans 10 verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law. He's the reality of where the law pointed. The law is not an end in itself. The end of the law is Christ. But it also means that Christ ends that law. He is not only the end of the law, in other words, to whom the law focuses and points us, but Christ has come to end that law as well. How so? The author here gives to us five things. At least that's what I'm pulling out of it. Five things as to why Christ is superior in the regard of a fulfilled will. First of all, it is done through the body of Christ. Notice where we pick it up. See, verses 1 through 4 focused on those limitations of Sinai. Now, verse 5, consequently. See, now we have a switch. He's switching what we're looking at. We were looking at Sinai. Now, he's looking at Christ. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, those sacrifices, those offerings, you have not desired. But what did you do? You gave me a body. Now think of what's happening. We're moving from sacrifices of animals, bulls and goats and sheep, right, to a body, a human body. Part of the reason why Christ is superior to Sinai is because Sinai only had animals. But Christ has a human body. It's the reminder here that both the humanity and the divinity of Christ are involved in making us holy. His body, his coming in the flesh. Now why does his body coming in the flesh make him superior? Because... He is the second Adam. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Listen to how Paul described this to, to the church at Rome. Romans, Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin could not be counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning is not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What's he saying? He's saying Christ is a second Adam. Adam, in his body, sinned. God's justice demands that that sin be atoned for. And it can only be atoned for not by some heifer, not by some bull, not by some lamb, not by some goat. It can only be atoned for by man in a body, in the same kind of body that God created for Adam, human flesh. Not animal flesh, human flesh. So part of what he's saying is this is superior. Christ is superior because Christ came not bringing some animal to sacrifice to God. Here's my animal. Here, here's my goat that I'm presenting to you, God. But he presented himself, his body. And there he is our representative. He is our flesh. He is our blood. There, as the one who is the sacrifice. It's humanity. It's us. It's you and I. It's mankind represented. That's what that passage in Hebrews is implying. That quote that we are given here. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This takes place through the body of Christ. Secondly, it is by the obedience of Christ. Verse 7, then I said, see, and these words are now attributed to Christ. It is the author saying, these are the words of Jesus Christ. The I is Jesus. Then Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He comes in a bodily form. Not a shadow of a bodily form in the sense of an animal sacrifice, but in bodily form, the reality of a human sacrifice. And... He comes in obedience, in full obedience. He kept the law perfectly. He did God's will. Did Adam? No. Did the priest at Sinai? No. Did the people of Israel? No. Did Christ? Absolutely. We pray. Right? The prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray. 
your will be done. And Christ did that will, even in the hard and difficult, even at Gethsemane. And yet I pray, not my will, but thy will be done. And he did it. He did everything. He kept the law perfectly. There is nothing in God's law that Christ did not do. There is no sin. There is no blemish. There is no imperfection. There is only the perfecting life of Jesus Christ. We refer to this, you see, as Christ's active obedience. He actively did that which God desired so that his sacrifice is counted as something worthy. When his death on that cross occurs, it is a worthy sacrifice because there is no sin. If you or I went to that cross and hung on that cross, would God count it as a worthy sacrifice? Absolutely not. Why? Because we're sinful people. Stained and full of sin. I am. Christ does not even have the blemish of the original sin of Adam. Christ is perfect in that he actively obeyed all the demands of that first administration of the covenant at Sinai. There is no charge against Christ by the Pharisees that he violated some ceremonial law. Perfect. The only thing they can drum up are false charges against him because there were no true charges against him. The fulfillment by Christ through the body of Christ, by the obedience of Christ. I see, and here's the wonder and beauty of that which happens. This obedience of Christ is that which God reckons on our account. Right? That righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's not infused in us. In other words, God doesn't take that righteousness and shove it down our throat. But the righteousness of Christ covers us. His perfect obedience becomes your and my perfect obedience. Because he is that representative. He is that second Adam. By his humanity. You see, no animal could ever be there. Right? No animal could, could ever fulfill that. But Christ has. Thirdly, not only through his body, not only by his obedience, but look what happens in verse 9. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. What has Christ done? He has established the second. What? That second administration of the law, which is what? What is that? It's what's going to be quoted later. 
This is the covenant, verse 16, that I will make with them in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. That covenant, that's the second one. That's what Christ brings. And by bringing the first, the second, he ends the first. He ends it. He ends that constant, ongoing sacrificing of animals that can never take away sins. Now, folks, listen carefully. Okay? In the old days, I'd do this number, right? Okay, but with this earpiece, that, that gets a little tricky. So you notice I don't do that as often anymore. Okay? But this is the part where you need to listen carefully. Oftentimes, we are guilty of living in the first covenant. That we live in Sinai. You say, what do, we, what do you mean by that? I don't sacrifice any animals. I hope you don't. It's not by the outward sacrificing of the animals, but it's the practical. What do you mean by that? We don't think Christ paid for all our sins. We still hold against ourselves that which God has taken away. We, not, we might not practically be going back on the Day of Atonement and sacrificing and doing that and repeat it and repeat it. But how many times, my friends, don't you go back to old sins? That's not God leading you there. That's the accuser. That's the devil. There has been one sacrifice. Your sin. Whatever it was, has been paid for. And God says, I remember it no more. Stop trying to remind God of what God says, I have forgiven. That's the devil who wants to make you think that the sacrifice of Christ did not accomplish anything. Tell them, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I slay you, dragon. Away from me. Christ establishes this second. Third, fourth. Go with me to verse 10. And by that will, notice, okay, Christ has perfectly kept the will of God. By keeping that will, what happens? Well, he keeps the will in the body. He keeps the will perfectly. And by keeping that will, he has established this second covenant. But notice well, verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Sanctified. We have been made holy. We are sanctified human beings through the offering of Christ. 
have been. Hear that? Have been. We have been made holy. How? Through the giving of Christ's body on that cross. In terms of covenant, in terms of grace, your and my sanctification is not a process. It's a done deal. In terms of our living here, it's an ongoing process. But in terms of the faithfulness of God to the covenant and to the covenant terms, it's a done deal. You and I are sanctified. That's why you and I can gather in the presence of God to worship. That's the importance uh, of our order of worship, of understanding God calls you into his presence. You don't come barging into his presence. Hey, God, I'm here. Hope you enjoy me being here with you for an hour. It's God who's extending an invitation to you. Why? Because you're holy in Christ. He already sees you as sanctified human beings. Do you think the cross only partially accomplished it? Or in covenant terms, is it fully accomplished? What does the author say? And by that will, we are being sanctified. No. We have been sanctified. How? Through what we do? No. Are we sanctified by our good works? No. Are we sanctified by our holy living? No. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you think he's underscoring this once for all thing? Right? Over and over and over again we've read. Once for all. Once for all. Once for all. Understand the full, deep, dynamic impact of that death of Christ. It never, never, never needs to be repeated again. Because it was the perfect sacrifice of the one who fully kept the will of God. As our representative in a human body. Establishing this second administration of this covenant of grace. And it sanctifies. It makes us holy. But it does even more. And I hope that 14th verse, even as I read it, just kind of knocked you backwards. Right? If the being sanctified doesn't knock you back, look at, the, look at verse 14. Look at what else. The superiority of Christ does. For by a single offering, he has for all time, 
those who are being sanctified. And notice how the author wove two things together. The last verse was, have been sanctified. Now, it's are being sanctified. What gives? God's perspective? You've been sanctified. Our perspective, we're in the process of being sanctified. But even as we see ourselves in process, even as we recognize our sin, even as we recognize our shortcomings, even as we recognize our failings, our trespasses, what's happening? No, not what is happening, what has happened. We have been perfected. The verb tense that is used here is the verb tense that would say this. It describes a completed action in the present moment. Right now, at this moment, By God's grace, through faith, in Christ, you and I are considered by God to be perfect. This is how God sees us. In Christ. Under the umbrella of Christ. In covenant with Christ. Perfect. Folks, when I look in a mirror, I don't see a perfect person. I don't think you do either. I think we see a lot of imperfections. Every time we look into the mirror of God's word, I think we see more imperfections, don't we? Now the question is, do we, do, do we live under that? And the constant attack and the awareness. Or do we say, when we see those imperfections, I confess my sin. And he who is, confesses his sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them their sins in Christ. So that that sin is gone. God remembers it no more then what am I? In God's sight, perfect. Remember the opening verse? If not, go back to it. The law is but a shadow of the realities of that which is to come because the law could not perfect. What does Christ do? He perfects for all time. Those who are in him. Those who by faith have said, Christ and Christ alone is the only means of my salvation. And who recognize the ability to make that statement is by God's grace alone. Welcome. Welcome.
welcome to the new life that Christ has for us as his perfected, sanctified saints. Amen? Amen. Father, again, we do thank you for your word. What a blessing. What an encouragement. Father, may we live this glorious truth. Right? If if I'm perfect in Christ, if I'm sanctified in Christ, Lord, then help me to live that way. Help me to live sanctified. Help me to live that perfect life. Help me to live giving you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise from this day forth and forevermore. God's people say, Amen.